conference organised by the World Bioenergy Association, supported by Bioenergy Europe, and with Euractive as your media partner. I'm Mariam Zaida, and I'll be moderating today's very important event. Seeing the wood for the trees, the possible implications of RED3 on renewable energy development and EU energy security. A big welcome to our in-person audience and, of course, to everyone who is registered and joining us um, online now here at Euractive. You all know that we do love our audience getting involved in our debates. But to keep things fair, if you have a question or a comment, don't forget to put it into the Slido app. I have the iPad right here um, and I'll be able to see your questions when they come in. I can see things are coming in already. So do get involved. But do you remember, direct your questions to a specific panellist so we know who to ask your question or comment um, to. OK, well, I'm just going to kick things off by saying this. Life isn't easy right now. It's possibly um, a major understatement as well. Um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has severely disrupted the global energy market um, and supply chain. The cost of everything is going up. Um, bills are literally spiraling out of control, or they're set to um, in October. Things are only really getting worse for people as, and businesses, especially, of course, as we do now move towards winter time. Now, this week, EU politicians are mulling over all sorts of things, a whole raft of solutions aimed at easing us through this winter crisis. Um, the President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, I believe, is speaking at the um, European Commission right now, in fact, about energy. Now, on a long-term level, the EU is doing a lot. There's a lot of innovation to try to shift away from the dependency on Russian fossil fuels and towards renewables. We have things like Repower Europe, Fit55, just to name a few. Now, at 60% share, biomass is Europe's largest source of renewable energy. It comes from burning wood, plants and organic matter. It's versatile and can be used to generate heat and electricity, but questions remain over its sustainability. Now, next week, we know MEPs do have an opportunity to overhaul renewable, um, the Renewable Energy Directive, Red 3, at their plenary session. Secondary sustainably sourced forest biomass is under consideration under this bill, but... There are some buts. Um, environmentalists, including people like Greta Thunberg, want MEPs to amend the legislation and renew and remove forest biomass from the directive altogether because they say forests are not renewable. So with that, is biomass the future or is it a serious alternative to gas and one that has serious credentials, or is it a carbon con? Well, let's ask the experts. But before we hear from our panelists, let's set the scene with Christian Rakos, who is the World Bioenergy Association president. Please do take the floor. Thank you very much, Marion. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm very pleased uh, to welcome you to this event. We've been hosting this uh, event because uh, we believe it's very important to lead a fact-based discussion on bioenergy, particularly in this situation, ahead of the decisions that are pending. Um, I would like to open my uh, uh, statement with a, a quote from the Club of Rome in its most recent report, Earth for All. And they made a very remarkable statement, uh, saying, the most serious problem of humanity is not climate change, it's not loss of biodiversity or the pandemic. It is our collective ability, inability, to distinguish between fact and fiction. 
that is uh, that is a serious uh, wake-up call, I think, to uh, rational-based uh, uh, policymaking. And that is what we want to contribute to with this event. That is why we have invited world-class experts to talk about the burning questions about bioenergy use uh, uh, in the future in Europe. And uh, I'll leave you with that. Thank you very much uh, for being here and enjoy the discussion. Thank you so much. And definitely, uh, you know, we will be looking at the fact and the fiction and hopefully learning a lot about biomass today. Okay, well, let's kick off this debate. Um, we have joining us, we have Austrian MEP uh, Simona Schmidt-Bauer and member of the Agri-Committee at the European Parliament. Welcome. Uh, we have Fanny Pomlong. Um, she's Secretary General at the Confederation of European Forest Owners. We have John Bingham, a special advisor at Hawkins Wright, a biomass consultancy firm. We have Michael Obersteiner. He's a director of the Environmental Change Institute at the University of Oxford, who joins us online. Um, we have Luke Pelkmans. He's a technical director at IEA Bioenergy. And Jean-Marc Jossard. He's a secretary general at Bioenergy Europe. Welcome to you all. Um, so as you can see, we have one panelist um, only joining us online. So that's always a good thing. Um, well, to understand now who all of our panelists are, what their expertise is, what they advocate for, I now invite them all to say a few words. We'll start with our MEP. Please go ahead. Thank you so much. Uh, first of all, it's a great uh, pleasure and honor for me to be here with you on this panel. Um, now I can, I have the possibility, the chance uh, to switch in German. It's much easier for me. Es wurde schon eingangs das wichtige Statement überhaupt begonnen. Ich komme gerade direkt von dem Europaparlament. Wir positionieren uns nächste Woche, kommende Plenarwoche, nicht nur zu einer also erneuerbaren Energierichtlinie oder zur Forststrategie, sondern zu anderen sehr vielen energie- und forstrelevanten Politiken mit sehr großer Auswirkung ähm, zur Zukunft der Energieversorgung und auch der Wälder in Europa. Das große Problem, das wir momentan haben, ist, dass uns im Europaparlament der ganzheitliche Ansatz fehlt. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for the introduction. I think in the introductory statement, the most important thing was mentioned, which is the, um, the vote that we're having in Parliament next week. I've actually come just now from the Parliament. And as you know, the Parliament will be taking a position in the next um, plenary week, not only on renewable energy, the Renewable Energy Directive, but also on an overall EU forest strategy, including other energy and forest relevant policies, which have a great impact on the future of energy supply and forestry in Europe. And I really think that the huge das kurzfristige Scheuklappendenken, das wir manchmal äh, betreiben, leider auch viele Kolleginnen und Kollegen, anstatt mit generationenbasierten Weitblick zu agieren. Deshalb habe ich jetzt in der Fraktionssitzung der EPP darauf hingewiesen, dass wir uns ganz große Gedanken machen müssen, welche Entscheidungen wir schlussendlich nächste Woche treffen werden. Wir dürfen keine neuen Hürden, Barrieren aufbauen, sondern wir müssen den Weg in ein nachhaltiges Europa ebnen. Das ist unsere größte Aufgabe. Deshalb meine Message Nummer eins, Widersprüche in der EU-Gesetzgebung müssen unbedingt ausgeräumt werden. Es ist wichtig, die Kohärenz und die Synergien zwischen den EU-Politiken zu gewährleisten und diese auch uns dessen bewusst zu machen, denn wir können nicht auf der einen Seite ein grüneres, nachhaltiges Europa fordern und auf der anderen Seite Reglementieren wir alles im Übermaß. 
often what uh, the problem in, in Brussels is that we have a very short-sighted and narrow, uh, narrow view of, of these sorts of things, as if we, we had blinders on, instead of looking at uh, things in a broad perspective uh, based on solidarity between generations. And this is a point that I've made very clearly in our group meetings, in the EPP group in, in the European Parliament. Uh, looking forward to our debate next week. We don't want to set up new hurdles. We want instead to smooth the way, to pave the way towards a really sustainable future in Europe. And that's really my key message, my first key message, that we have to eliminate the contradictions in European legislation. Uh, particularly at a time now when the future of energy, climate and forestry policy is at stake, we have to establish synergies and coherence, consistency between different areas of EU policy. We cannot have contradictions on the one hand talking about the need for a green Europe and a green future and at the same time be, being over-regulating everything. Deshalb komme ich gleich zu meiner Key Message Nummer zwei. Ideologie und Augen verschließen wird uns nicht weiterbringen und wird uns auch nicht retten. Denn ganz viele verstehen nicht, dass es noch keine Alternative zu einer nachhaltigen Waldbewirtschaftung und somit auch zur Holznutzung gibt. Sie haben es erwähnt, durch Putins Aggression ähm, seit 24. Februar haben sich sämtliche Rahmenbedingungen in der Europäischen Union vollkommen verändert. Und ich sage, ist nicht unbedingt immer gut angekommen, aber der Green Deal im Vergleich zu heute wurde in einer Art Luxusmodus aufgesetzt. Europa ist heute nicht mehr dasselbe wie am 11. Dezember 2019, als unsere Kommissionspräsidentin den Green Deal ins Leben gerufen und somit präsentiert hat. Heute sind wir uns einmal mehr von der Abhängigkeit Russlands, dem EU-Ausland, bewusst gemacht worden und uns droht momentan, ein Zukunftsszenario einer geschwächten europäischen Wirtschaft in Kombination mit Energie- und Agrarstoffabhängigkeit. Und jeder in Europa spürt das. That's really the basis for my second message now, which is that we cannot just uh, close our eyes uh, to the reality and hide ourselves behind an, an, an ideology. That's not going to save us from the present situation and the threats. Many people fail to understand that there is not, at least yet, any alt alternatives to the advantages of, uh, of um, sustainable forestry management and use of wood. Particularly since uh, Putin's aggression in Ukraine, since the 24th of February of this year, all of the conditions in Europe have changed completely. And this is a point that's not always really come across effectively. The Green Deal, the way it was first announced compared to today, has really been put into sort of a luxury mode. We see it as a luxury that we can afford to, to apply or not to apply depending on the conditions. But our Europe has changed. The conditions in Europe today are not the same as they were in December 2019 when uh, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen first presented the Green Deal. Everything has changed. We are now much more aware of the degree to which we do depend on Russia uh, and on other countries outside the EU for, for energy, and that's been brought home to us very painfully to feel. We are really threatened now by a future scenario of a weakened Europe, a weakened Europe, uh, European economy, in combination with uh, dependence on energy and on other countries for energy and agrarian uh, raw materials. Europe, I think everyone in Europe really has come to feel this pinch. Kommission, der Rat, das Parlament müssen jetzt verantwortungsvoll mit der neuen Situation umgehen und auch auf diese reagieren. Es geht nicht mehr um Punkt und Koma. Für mich und meiner Meinung nach geht es sprichwörtlich um das Ganze. Ob der Wald jetzt als nachhaltige Energiequelle, als Baustoff, als grüne Lunge unseres Kontinents, als Naherholungsgebiet gesehen wird, was auch immer. Nachhaltig bewirtschaftete Wälder sind ein wahrer Trumpf und die Antwort auf ganz viele Fragen. 
Und deshalb müssen wir unsere Wälder nützen. Wir schützen sie auch, das steht absolut in keinem Widerspruch. Und das Letzte, was wir jetzt tun könnten, wäre, unsere Wälder als Kohlenstoffmuseen verkommen zu lassen. Danke. That's why all of us have to work together, particularly the EU institutions, the Commission, the Council and the Parliament have to all pull together in order to respond in a responsible way to these challenges. It's not just a question of looking at, uh, at full stops and commas in an individual text in Red 3. We really have to look at the entire picture as a whole. Uh, forestry is not just a, um, it's, it, it's a source of energy, it's a source of raw materials, it's also a green lung for our continent, for the entire world, and it's also an area of recreation. We don't, and we can't deny any of these aspects, but all of these have to be part of an overall sustainably managed forestry policy. That sort of policy can be a real trump, a real benefit for the, uh, for the EU, and it can be the basis for an answer to all the current um, challenges that we're facing, so that we can really work to effectively towards a climate neutral a climate neutral economy by 2050. That's our challenge. We have to use our forests. That doesn't mean we can't protect them and we don't have to protect them. It's not a contradiction. They can be both done at the same time. What we cannot afford to do is to let our forests turn into a carbon museum. Thank you. Thank you so much. And for in injecting, um, you could say, that realism into the debate and talking about, you know, broad approach, solidarity, and also updating um, us on the latest um, from the European Parliament on Red 3. Okay, let's now go to Fanny Pomlong. Please do take the floor for us, please. You have a few minutes. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here um, to represent the voice of European forest owners. Um, there are people like you and me. They, um, most of them own, like, very small uh, forest holdings. Um, family forest holdings and they uh, are doing the best to manage their forests sustainably. Um, I spent my holidays in my native uh, country in France and I could observe the impacts of the droughts um, on, on forests. Probably some of you also saw that in, in, in many countries in Europe uh, over summer. Uh, all forests are suffering and it was one more signal of how climate change impacts the forest. Um, but despite this very challenging context, the forest owners community, which I represent today, they keep um, struggling and they are very motivating and willing to continue to manage their forest. Although the only certainty that they have regarding what's going to happen in their forest is uncertainty. And the reason I went saying that is again to, 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 to keep the big picture in mind when we are discussing all this file. And I very much agree with which has been said that we are now discussing red today, but there are many other files now on the table that concern uh, forest and that will also be voted next week in Parliament. Um, when I had the opportunity to talk with a few forest owners during my holidays and uh, we discussed about this EU policy making and the reaction that I got during these discussions was really like why, what's the point and what's the reality, what's the link with the reality with my work? And one of the problems that, that I see to the big picture that we are discussing is that in the current discussion to that EU level on Red 3, but also forest related issues, is that um, we don't even talk about the, the trends that we could observe in forest over the last decades. Between 1990 and 2020, plus 14 million hectares of forest, plus 8 billion cubic meters of wood in forest, plus 48% of carbon stock in forest. And this is not totally, but partially, thanks to sustainable forest management. In the current debate, we are not even discussing that. We are just focusing on dangers, risk, selling a horrible picture of what's going on in forests. Second problem, 
um, is that the policy debate that we are now into, um, it's quite short time seeing, whereas the forestry perspective is long term. We manage forests based on several decades. And what we are discussing now is short term policy. So that's something also that needs to be considered in the debate. So in a context where managing forest is becoming increasingly challenging due to climate change, in a context where bioenergy uh, is one market among others for forest owners, but in a context where we don't manage forests for energy purposes, it does not make sense. We don't plan forest management based only on energy. In a context where um, there are a lot of rules already in place related to sustainable forest management, nationally and regionally defined. Forest owners do not do whatever they want in their forest. In a context where heating our houses will be one of our biggest concerns in the next weeks or next months. My question, to close this statement, is, is what we are discussing today, and I hope we have the opportunity to come back on what is on the table today, is it in line with the reality of the ground? And I will leave it here, and I hope I, we can come back to the technical details of the proposal. Thank you. We will definitely do that. Don't you worry. Um, okay, over to our next panelist, John Bingham. Please go ahead. Good um, morning. Uh, good afternoon. Um, what I would like to do is, is put um, bioenergy in Europe into some sort of context. Um, now, there's a tendency, I don't want to bamboozle you with figures, but there is, there is a, a perception too often in, in, the, in the media and, and in the public at large um, that it's all about um, electricity, bioelectricity and wood pellets. Those are the, the things. And, and, and too often um, the image is created of, of, of dark satanic mills shoveling the remnants of murdered trees into the big boilers and... Um, uh, and 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 uh, well, it's not what's <laughs> happening. It is a complete parody of the truth. Nevertheless, uh, it's one that that has gained currency in in the debate for far too long. Um, if you look at um, statistically, and again, I don't want to put too many figures on uh, before you, but electricity accounts for roughly twelve percent of the final consumption of uh, bioenergy in Europe. And, and of that, roughly, roughly a half, less, less than half, is actually um, consumed in, in electricity-only, utility-scale uh, power stations. The vast majority of the biomass used in, um, in Europe is for heat, heat and heating. Um, and that um, is uh, really the strong point and, and the, the, the great where the great advantage of bioenergy is to be found. Um, if you look at um, uh, the, the, the total heating and cooling within Europe, bioenergy supplies, on average, 19% uh, of the uh, total heating and cooling uh, in, in, in Europe as an EU average. But there are some countries, and I, and I can pick out Finland, Sweden, um, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, Denmark, those countries um, are at or approaching or have exceeded 50% uh, a bioenergy share of their uh, heating and cooling. Um, and there you'll find that there's uh, large cities which are approaching carbon neutrality um, as a result of uh, using biomass in, in CHP plants uh, and district heating plants. 
and they are heating the homes of people throughout, um, throughout Europe. Uh, and at this time, it, uh, 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 when we're facing what's going on in, in, in Ukraine, that's uh, massively important because they're not consuming gas. Um, uh, the Baltic states in particular have used um, bioenergy as a way of weaning themselves off Russian gas. And they, were, they did that with great foresight, as it turned out. Um, and uh, Lithuania, I'd pick out in particular. Um, they, they've they've uh, got a huge amounts of their heating now is coming from, from biomass powered district heating and CHP plants. Um, but there's also um, a lot of wood now used for heating people's homes in, in their own personal boilers. Um, and that accounts for um, a, a terrific um, volume and supply of heat to, to, to people. So what, what is being proposed in, in, in the parliament um, is actually drawing a line under that growth that has taken place in, in, in Europe for heating. It's drawing a line and stopping it. And ultimately, as, as the, the, the proposals are worded as of last night, uh, will in due course uh, be wound back. So um, uh, it, it, all those investments and all that progress has been made in providing renewable uh, heat to, uh, to, to, to the citizens of, of much of Europe. In every, in every part of Europe, there are, there are people getting their heat from, from biomass and not from gas as a result of this, the, these investments that have taken place. And that's supposed to now to stop. And I find that most peculiar and, and, and a retrograde step um, on the part of the promoters of these uh, policies in Brussels. Okay, that's an interesting point to make, and definitely we will be discussing, um, you know, the way in which people are heating their homes and where biomass, of course, comes into it. Um, thank you so much for that. Um, okay, we'll go to our um, online panelist, uh, Michael Obersteiner. Please go ahead. Yes, hello, uh, welcome. Yes, so I'm, I'm, I think, on the panel. I'm uh, representing the, the the science part of it, uh, and I have been uh, in land use science for all of my career and also did a lot of uh, policy work uh, in Europe, but also globally and elsewhere. Um, we, uh, on the science side, and uh, me in particular, I uh, ramped up uh, global, but also local models uh, that feed into the IPCC assessment of 1.5 uh, degrees. Uh, we also fed into the large biodiversity assessments uh, globally, but also on, on the European scale. And uh, another component which also speaks to European policymaking is the work of the International Resource Panel, where we look at the bioeconomy and the circular economy and the feasibility of it. And what we see there is that uh, um, uh, carbon from forests uh, actually play, play a huge role, not only, and this was discussed already in terms of, uh, of biomass use, but also in terms of overall carbon management in order to lead to our final goals of net zero and 1.5, uh, but also for biodiversity and uh, in all of the material uh, values, uh, which were also discussed already. So, so here, what we see in all of those scenarios, for example, uh, the global uh, goal of reaching 1.5 degrees uh, and the Paris Agreement without biomass uh, currently is actually unthinkable. 
So here, biomass definitely, uh, especially biomass combined with uh, carbon capture and sequestration, is one of the key technologies we know of today to actually ensure that we we, we reach those those targets, um, not only technically but also economically. And uh, um, what we see is that. Uh, um, we need to consider proper incentivizing the, the, the final outcomes we, we want to look at, you know, carbon targets, biodiversity targets, material needs targets. And, uh, uh, and uh, to my mind, uh, and my reading is uh, that the current uh, proposal as it sits, it's, uh, it actually uses command control um, uh, uh, measures rather than economic incentives and disincentives. And most importantly, what we see in our in our research is that it's actually the geographic uh, differentiation of these different values where you have, of course, you have protected areas here, but you also also have uh, uh, biomass production there for uh, timber production, but also for co-production for energy and other purposes. So, so here I, I think uh, what's really needed is uh, more science-based uh, uh, policy design uh, to actually, in the end, to achieve these larger goals. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Some more science. Um, okay, over to Luke Puckmans, please. Um, I would like to bring attention to, uh, to what the International Energy Agency has, has published last year, actually before uh, all the fuss with Russia and Ukraine. So actually they did the exercise of, of how can we actually achieve uh, a carbon neutral energy system by 2050, so they had the, the roadmap for that. Um, and actually a, a main message is, is really that we have to start urgently. So, so it is really urgent to start this and to do something this decade. And we don't have the luxury to, to be picky. So there is different things we need to do. There's solar energy, there's wind energy, there's bioenergy, there's, there's all kinds of options. And they're all needed. So uh, there's no silver bullets that we can say, well, we pick this one and we don't pick that one. We all need it. And of course, with, uh, if you talk about bioenergy, you always have to look into uh, sustainability limits. So you can't do it indefinitely. There's limits to it, but, but it's really needed. And they also considered the role of, of bioenergy then in, in the total by 2050 uh, for different sectors. If you look at, uh, for instance, the industry sector, which is quite important at the moment, about 30% of greenhouse gas emissions come from industry at the moment. Uh, industry would rely for 15% on biomass. Um, the transport sector, 16% on biomass, so energy in, in the transport sector. 10% uh, for biomass in, in buildings, energy, and 5% of electricity production. Uh, from biomass. So it has a role in all these sectors and, and for one, some sectors like the industry sector, they're also quite crucial for certain sectors and, and applications where electrification is, is really difficult. A second I would like to point is, is the type of biomass. So I also did an exercise on well, what are sustainable potentials of biomass. They, they're also quite cautious with, uh, with, uh, with it. So they come to a, a potential around 100 exajoules, which is to put in the picture, the total energy consumption uh, global is 600 exajoules. So we can't do it everything, but it has a, a specific role. And kind of by, by 2050, you can divide them in three categories. Uh, first category is, is mainly organic waste and residues. The second category is, is woody biomass coming from forests, directly or indirectly. Forest, but also new forest plantings, also agroforestry. 
and a third is, is, is more woody and grassy crops which you can, uh, which you can grow on underutilized lands or in combination with, uh, with current uh, food crops. Um, and if you then specifically look at uh, the forest biomass, uh, they, and then forest biomass without uh, what is being used in traditional uses in developing countries, so it's now around 20 exajoules. Uh, and in this scenario, they expect that the forest biomass will increase to 30 exajoules. So it, it, it's not that, in, that we go times five or something for forest, forest biomass. There is really good credentials behind it. There's realistic growth potentials behind it on yeah, how can forests be managed and better managed in certain regions of the world. So it's not, not an incredible amount that needs to come, but it is an important amount. If you talk about 30 exajoules, uh, it's, it's a lot of fossil fuels that you, that you replace by that. Um, I think I will leave uh, my statement, uh, stop my statement. By okay. okay, thank you so much. And then to our last panelist, Sean Marc Chassel, please go ahead. Thank you, good, um, good afternoon. <laughs> yeah, good afternoon now. I'm working for Bioenergy Europe, uh, which is the voice of uh, Bioenergy um, in Europe. Uh, we are, I can only agree with uh, my <laughs> colleagues, the speakers here, we are representing a major sector in Europe with uh, uh, more than 10% of the energy system. And, um, and in fact, we have always been in favor of sustainability criteria because we, with these criteria, we can demonstrate that our sector is, uh, is sustainable and 2050 compatible and that we can play a key role in the decarbonization. We, we are really convinced and we want to demonstrate. But it's also our duty to say that, okay, when something is over-regulated or going in the wrong way, uh, then, then we don't agree anymore. <laughs> uh, and this is the case with this uh, primary biomass proposal. Why uh, I would like to come now on the, the major reasons why this is coming on the table, and there are three main assumptions made by, the, um, by some policymakers uh, to, to justify this. One, if the carbon thing, if, if we would avoid to extract primary biomass for bioenergy from the forest, we would increase carbon sink. This is wrong. This is wrong. The, the, the biomass, uh, the, these residues will degrade anyway, and this, this uh, avoiding the extraction of these forest residues, logging residues typically, will not increase in the medium term the carbon stock on the forest. It's, it's through management of the forest that we will increase. And, and Fanny Pom was mentioning this. With dozens of years of forest management, we have increased the carbon stock. So this assumption is wrong. Second assumption is that we would leave more material in the forest for construction. Again, sorry, I mean, the, 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 there is a misunderstanding on what, or the definition, in fact, of the primary biomass um, is, is wrongly made in the, in the current proposal because we mix the, the kind of the low value residues that, are, that could be used for energy and the high value wood, but in reality, even in the secondary biomass, in sawmill residues, you have higher value products that are used, for example, by the pulp and paper industry and, and lower value. So if this would come through, the bioenergy companies would typically, uh, I think, use secondary biomass and increase the competition for a lot of industries. So we, we reinforce the problem of this famous cascading uh, while, while these tops and branches in the forest are not used for construction as such. So again, the second assumption is wrong. And I will finalize with this uh, uh, third assumption that we, by banning 
primary biomass, we make the forest more resilient. Again, it's, as, as Fanny Bosma was mentioning, forest is uh, under threat now with climate change, drought and storms, and fire, bark beetle, you, you name it. So, I mean, leaving the forest untouched is definitely not making the forest more resilient. We need, and, and one size fits all is not also the solution. We have uh, a lot of forests so regulating this with a, such a bold measure at European level is a strategic mistake uh, for me. So we need, and I fully agree with what we said before, we need less emotions <laughs> in this debate, uh, more impact of the, of the measures, and more science. The, to, to, yeah, last number, <laughs> the, this, uh, if I didn't mention that before, the, the bioenergy sector and this primary biomass, we can easily, easily, we can have a rough estimation, this represents 40 billion, the equivalent of 40 billion cubic meters of gas. The repower target was to save 155. So with 40, we are one-fourth of the repower strategy. It would be a lost opportunity. Honestly, it's a lost opportunity for wrong reasons. So honestly, this is not a good idea. Okay, so, um, well, let's now open up the debate then. Um, I mean, there's been, from everything I've heard from all the panelists, there seems to actually be a lot of criticism of RED3 um, and where biomass fits into that. So let's go to our MEP then. Um, talk us through the role that biomass is playing in RED3. I mean, you also, as well, talked about concerns. So, so where do you foresee um, the sort of key sticking points, especially as we, you know, there's this one week run up to the plenary session? Um, da möchte ich mit einem Beispiel beginnen, weil ich glaube, dass das alles erklärt. Ich durfte ähm, die Stellungnahme im Regionalausschuss zur RED 3 als EVB-Schattenberichterstatterin äh, verhandeln. Und der einzige und der größte Knackpunkt, den wir in der ersten Verhandlungsrunde hatten, war die Biomasse. Also die Gräben waren dermaßen tief und äh, es wurde jetzt gesagt, wir bräuchten mehr Wissenschaft und weniger Populismus. Da habe ich ein offenes Ohr dafür. Der größte Knackpunkt war die Definition von Primärbiomasse und dass sie nicht mehr förderfähig sein soll. Und im weiteren Schritt dann auch nicht mehr bei der Zielerreichung ähm, angerechnet werden soll. Im Regi konnten wir es schaffen, das waren harte Verhandlungen, aber faire und gute Verhandlungen. Aber wir haben es geschafft, vielmehr konnte verhindert werden, dass diese Definitionen, die uns wirklich massiv belasten würden, sich schlussendlich im Text wiederfinden. Das war aber, und damit wir auch einmal etwas Politisches ansprechen dürfen, nur mit den Fraktionen der Renew und der ECR möglich. Für S&D und die Grünen war das eine absolut rote Linie. Da konnten wir absolut keinen Millimeter an Verhandlungen herausverhandeln. Also sie haben sich keinen Millimeter bewegt. Und sie konnten auch während, der ganzen, während dem ganzen Verhandlungsprozess kein einziges Mal ihre These oder ihren Standpunkt fachlich begründen. Und deshalb würde ich, mich auch, würde ich mir auch in der Diskussion viel mehr wissenschaftliche Erkenntnis als Unterstützung wünschen und dass wir dem Populismus den Rücken kehren. Thanks very much. I'd like to begin my answer with an example, which I think really <coughs> makes things quite clear. <coughs> uh, recently, I was the shadow rapporteur for the, uh, for the, uh, uh, the report, the opinion from the uh, Regi Committee, the Regional Policy Committee in the European Parliament, discussing the Red 3 proposal. Uh, 
And all the way from the beginning, from the very beginning, there was one major sticking point, and that was biomass. It was quite characteristic. And even in the first rounds of negotiations on the compromise text, there were really very sharp dividing lines between the different ideological camps, which made themselves quite clear. It was said just now that we have to turn our, base ourselves more on science and turn our back to populism. I couldn't agree more. I have a very open ear for that. But that's exactly what we need to do. The biggest sticking point is, in any case, the definition of primary biomass. And now there's a, the proposal is for this definition uh, to say that primary biomass should no longer be eligible for EU support, and also that it should not be able to be taken into account in assessing progress made towards achieving our climate goals. Luckily, we were successful in the Reggie Committee in preventing that problematic definition of bio, primary biomass from entering the text of our final resolution, of our, our position from our, our um, committee. And that, I must say, it was uh, successful, it was possible only thanks to the support that we had from the Renew Europe group and the ECR group. The other two major political groups in the parliament, the Social Democrats and the Greens, didn't refuse to, to budge. They would not budge a single inch on this. It was a complete red line for them. And I must stress that they failed to back up their claims, their positions with any science, with any facts at any point in time. They, uh, they failed to do so. They failed to even make any efforts in that direction. So yes to science. I'm all for science. And, uh, and on that basis, I think that we can all together turn our back on populism. True. Werden und äh, deshalb auch äh, meine kleine Verspätung sozusagen äh, war oder ist vielmehr die Abstimmung, die nächste Woche im Plenum stattfinden wird im Ausschuss ITRE. Das ist der Ausschuss für Industrie, Forschung und Energie, weil da sind alle äh, problematischen Definitionen enthalten, die wir im Regi versucht haben und also auch geschafft haben herauszuverhandeln und meiner Meinung nach ein wirklich grob fahrlässiger Schritt wenn es um Europas Energieunabhängigkeit geht. Wir haben heute erfahren, und das ist ähm, ganz frisch, dass der Deal, der ausverhandelt wurde, angeblich geplatzt ist. Das heißt, wir stehen jetzt vor neuen ähm, Herausforderungen, werden weiter verhandeln, auch über das Wochenende. Denn das große Thema war, dass ja sozusagen auf dem Level 2022 der Status Quo eingefroren werden sollte. Neu ist jetzt, dass dieses Nutzungslevel von Holz auf eine Durchschnittsmenge vom Jahr 2017 bis 2022 eingefroren werden soll. Was das jetzt konkret heißt, werden momentan Experten erarbeiten und herausfinden. Heißt aber, dass der Ausbau der Erneuerbaren eingeschränkt wird, massiv eingeschränkt wird, also eingefroren wird. Und das wird sich dann mit der Quadratur des Kreises ganz einfach nicht mehr ausgehen. The major challenge that we're facing now is the vote that we have next week in the plenary on the, um, on the uh, report from the ITRE committee, that's the Parliamentary Committee for Industry Re um, Research and Energy. That's being voted in plenary next week. And unfortunately, that proposal is now going to plenary with that problematic definition of, bio, of primary biomass still contained therein that I outlined before. That is a disaster. It's a potential disaster. It's hugely negligent as a step. Uh, it is uh, a step in the direction of um, uh, away from making Europe uh, independent for its, uh, its energy supply. 
Uh, we still have lots of uh, need for discussion here, and uh, I think that some of the positions of the, of the groups are, are quite far from reality. Before, the initial proposal was that we should base any new targets on the, actual, on the, on the current uh, situation in 2022, and that that should be frozen as a reference point. Now, in the new proposal going forward, they're saying that uh, the average reference period should it should be an average from the years 2017 to 2022. So it's a, it's a, it's over the last five years that should now be frozen as a reference point, which means that moving forward there's going to be a massive decrease in the use and the and the promotion of renewable energies. That cannot you cannot raise your climate ambition at the same time as you're inst um, as you're instituting stricter criteria for the use of biomass. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work out. It's like qu squaring the circle. Okay, so from what you're saying, there seems to be lots of divisions um, at the European Parliament amongst the different groups um, of MEPs. Um, you're saying the Greens, for example, have red lines. No one is necessarily backing it with science. Um, so let's then go to the grand realities. And um, Ms. Pomlong, you know, you as you, as we know, you represent um, you know forest management. Um, let's talk about it then. Um, you know, are essentially forests being killed? What's going on there? Well, I can easily answer to your question. The answer is no, but then maybe I should further develop. Yes. Um, uh, well, first of all, the basics of the forest management is that nearly harvesting operations, and harvesting is not necessarily the final harvesting, and I will come back to that, leads to the production of a certain type of material which are not suitable for industry due to quality and or dimension. And these operations, it can be um, thinning, it can be tending, it can be cleaning, it can be seedling. So all these operations, they are products that can go to energy. So now hearing what Mrs. Schmidbauer has just said, and it's, it's, it's breaking news. Uh, actually, I was about to comment this 2022 uh, cap, but now I can comment the 2017-2022. Um, cap, it would be even worse, of course. Um, well, first of all, it means that it would undermine the sustainable forest management practices for the reasons that I have mentioned. Second, it would um, uh, deprive the forest owners from certain economic opportunities. And I'd like here to um, maybe explain concretely. Um, I started my career in the French forest sector, and again, France, 3.5 million forest owners, 2 million have less than one hectare. So um, some of them just um, do not or did not manage their forest because managing a forest is costly. Managing a forest, you don't get a revenue from the selling of your wood of the final harvesting only after investing money and time during decades. And I, I remember that I talked to some forest owners who explicitly explained that the bioenergy market, who back in time was starting to uh, develop, was an opportunity for them to start managing their forests because these operations, thinnings, cleaning, which were costly and which they could not afford before, now they had the opportunity to give values to these products. So in a way to be a bit like neutral economically, so to pay these operations and to be able to do the next steps in their management. So I think this is very important to keep in mind. So if we are now sending a signal, a cap, uh, a decrease, 
a phase down based on an impact assessment. We don't know when, what would be the speed of the phase down, uh, when would it apply. Is it seriously a, a, a good signal that we send to investors, not only from the bioenergy sector, but also to the forest world? No, this is clearly not a good signal. It would lead to more tensions on the market. It would lead to also um, uh, endanger the EU objectives to be carbon neutral. Um, so, yes, the consequences on the ground related to forest management, there will be consequences. Okay, um, John Bingham, how about your thoughts on this then? Yes, I think, I think it's uh, most, um, uh, uh, most unlikely that the, the, the way the forests are managed, mm -hmm. sorry, the way the forests are managed is, is um, one which uh, um, uh, produces naturally forest residues. And they, when you're growing a forest, you know, there are various points in the, in, the, in the production. You've got to plant a forest, you've got to grow a forest, you've got to manage a forest, you've got to cut it down, and ultimately you're going to, you're going to um, use the, the, the residues from the processing of the wood. So all the way through that, that growth cycle of a, of a forest, there are going to be residues. And, and the question is, how do you, how do you use them? And, and, and some of them, of course, can be used to make pulp and paper or to panel board or Whatever, but there was a there was a there was a, a, a quite a large volume which which can only really be used for for um, for, for energy, um, um, uh, either either produce electricity or heat or or, or 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 to produce process heat to enable the decarbonisation of, of many many industries which um, now are looking for ways that will wean them off gas. Um, if you look at the, the, f the food industry, for example, the food industry, the, the, just think the dairies and the pasteurization of milk, um, the, the breweries and the brewing of beer and, and, um, and all those industries like, such as that, they need, they need thermal energy. They, they, they can't do it with, with, with solar power. Um, they can't do it with heat pumps very easily anyway, um, and certainly not efficiently. So they, they, the bioenergy is, is, is a way of decarbonizing um, those other industries um, in, in, in the most effective and, and cost-effective and, and environmentally effective way. Right. So um, I think the general consensus, or at least what I'm understanding, um, is that all of you seem to be quite critical um, of this legislation. Yeah, okay, the heads are nodding. Um, let's go to our online panellists, uh, Mr. Obersteiner. So let's talk about biomass then. Does it create um, CO2 emissions? Um, it's not a zero carbon neutral solution, but is it more harmful than fossil fuels? Um, well, I, uh, this is really interesting in the sense that uh, these kind of arguments came, came about, uh, I don't know, in the last five years or so. And I don't know where this is really coming from, because uh, when you look at uh, the scientific literature, and here, you know, I'm, we can refer back even 100 years back, uh, we would have to rewrite all of our textbooks uh, to, to actually accommodate for, for such claims. And also in the scientific literature, there's actually no, no backing uh, from any serious paper I know of. That, uh, that this would actually be true. It, there's only the, the one exceptional case which uh, probably applies more to Brazil or, or, or some other geographies, which is, would be more of a trade issue, which Europe is actually tackling, is if you have a permanent deforestation, then it might actually look, uh, look similar to a fossil fuel emission. However, in Europe, 
we have uh, forest net gain, so so there's actually an impossibility that you can make this uh, this this comparison. And um, just to, to to finalize my argument, uh, Europe has invested heavily into satellite systems, uh, observing forests uh, and ecosystems. We have uh, national forest inventories. Uh, when you look at uh, how the carbon and timber accounting is done on uh, forest enterprise level, uh, you can quantify very precisely today uh, on any level of uh, geographic aggregation uh, what the carbon impact is uh, on the atmosphere, because that's, that's really what counts in the end. Uh, we need to solve the climate problem. And uh, and uh, and here the the accounting is uh, is very clear of uh, a renewable uh, energy and material source uh, such as uh, bioenergy, which is uh, uh, very very positively uh, renewable in the, in that sense. So so from a science point of view, it's it's very clear, and you can actually measure it. And I think uh, uh, policy instruments should actually go and incentivize, as I said uh, earlier, uh, for a true value that the atmosphere sees, uh, rather than uh, making general statements uh, about things that uh, can actually not be, be backed up and not even for sure not be measured. Okay, so the policy um, is confusing. Um, and I'm sure that people, um, you know, watching at home or here in this room, they're possibly getting a little bit confused as well. Um, so let's talk about that then. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people um, wanting to switch to biomass boilers and pellet stoves. Is that a good idea right now? Um, and especially given that people might be turning towards wood in this energy crisis. And we know that firewood, um, the cost of pellets, it's going up. Um, so there's a supply issue in Central and Eastern European countries. Um, so that could then increase energy poverty, but also logging. How could all of this be tackled? Perhaps, Mr. Jean said you could go um, take that question. Um, yeah, there is a Biomass and bioenergy is an option to substitute fossil fuels. And for the moment, this is crucial, uh, as you know. So indeed, it's normal that we might have an increasing demand, maybe temporary, for, for biomass. So, and, and biomass as a market, like, uh, which is different, which is more a local market, than, uh, for sure, than without, uh, without any geopolitical aspects <laughs> that we have, uh, for sure, for electricity and gas. But uh, it would be a bit... Um, a bit too much, a bit shocking to, to blame biomass for, for its success of being a, a fuel affordable for the, for the energy poor. Huh? So, uh, but yes, the market for biomass, there is a market with an offer and demand for, for biomass, and hopefully it's like this. Uh, and that will be with, with more demand in winter, lower in spring. So this is, for the moment, we are living, of course, in a very peculiar momentum uh, and hopefully for the whole population for all Europe this will not last like this and that's why we need to find solutions. Repower was one to substitute a certain amount so so the, 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 I'm coming back to the proposal but the current proposal will even reinforce the problem much in fact 
we, we, because it's, it's, it's claimed by the GRC that primary biomass 37 of the biomass, almost 40% of the biomass that would be out of the market suddenly. Again, <laughs> you reinforce the problem rather than finding a solution. So, so yeah. But biomass is definitely buying, sorry, buying at a, for individuals and domestic, as, as John was mentioning, for heat production is really one solution for the energy poverty. Right. I'm in I was, favor. Well, I was just uh, saying that uh, although, although you're absolutely right, the, the price of, of, of wood, wood chips, residues, pellets, whatever, um, they've gone up dramatically. I mean, to levels we hadn't thought of before. Um, but gas has gone up even more. And on an energy basis, if you turn it into, into megawatt hours of energy, um, the biomass is still cheaper than gas. It's cheaper than, heat, cheaper than heating oil. So, so yes, this is, a, this is a, a, a very peculiar situation we're in at the moment. Um, uh, but it's not going to last forever. And, um, uh, and, and I think this, the fundamental economics of, of, of biomass as a substitute for fossil fuels will prevail. Okay, and you want us to go next, yep. Yeah, just, just one thing to warn, I think we, we may have a temporary increase of people having stoves to, uh, for, for, for wood actually. Uh, but I do have to warn that of course there's quite a lot of old stoves, old wood stoves around as well. Uh, burning that wood in these old stoves creates quite a lot of emissions. So we have to take that into account. Um, but instead of really saying, well, the source is bad, we have to look at, well, can we do something about the application? So can we move these applications to cleaner devices? Or maybe you can shift them to, to industry devices, which are happening on a much larger scale. They can implement emission reduction strategies, uh, which is much more efficient than what you do on a smaller scale. So this is something you have to take into account as well. I think this winter will be special. Uh, with with uh, with these extreme high high gas prices, but this is something we have to take into account as well. That that maybe that some of these applications are not not really what we want, or we, we really want to have move them towards the applications uh, which are clean. Ms. Pomlong, um, forest management will then be key, especially if people are trying to heat their homes um, with wood. Um, but yeah, are you you know within your industry, um, are you worried about the possibility of logging? Well, first of all, I don't represent an industry. <laughs> no, no, it's just two because you're not the only one, but sometimes we, we, we represent people. Um, um, uh, I think, well, several. First of all, we are in a specific momentum, and we all agree with that. About the increase of logging, um, forest, when you manage a forest, you don't wake up in the morning and just decide that, oh, I, I plan to harvest 10 trees, and oh, in the end, I would just harvest 100. It, it's, it's, it's not working like this. There is a plan, it's planned over decades, and there are rules. So you just, again, do not do whatever you want. So uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not true that suddenly um, forests are gonna be clear-cut for energy. So there is a framework. Then, um, what was just said before, the impact on the forest, like if what is now on the table in the parliament is voted, we see already the prices of the wood energy uh, going up, we see some tensions on the market. Do we really believe that putting a cap or reducing or phasing down would resolve the problem? It would be even worse. So um, from a forest management perspective, again, I think we have to trust the expertise of those who manage their forest, their planning over decades, 
uh, and the fact that actually they want to keep their forest healthy and resilient. They, 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 they just want their forest to go to further future generations. They don't want to destroy their forest. Uh, we have to trust also the knowledge and expertise of those who manage the forest. Okay, um, Luke Peltmans, um, I actually read on Twitter just before um, came in that you said that um, biomass can help with forest fires. So that's also a different element. Talk us through that. Well, of course, you, it's, it's something you have to take into account now with uh, warming climates then, and, and also the resilience of forests, that, that the current forest may have issues with this warming, cri uh, warming climate, with, uh, with drought, uh, things like that, and also infectations of beetles. You see it all around, which are also related to, uh, to probably to climate change. Um, so what you also need is, is kind of this perspective on, on that there needs to be some climate adaptation as well. So we need to adapt also to climate. It also means that if you have certain forest and, and you're at, at the moment that you can harvest part of it, you have to think of, of how can you make them more resilient? Can you have other species here which are more drought, uh, drought resistant? Um, so these are also certain opportunities also to, to make that change. Otherwise, you also end up with, uh, with forests which are indeed increasingly uh, s subject to, to fire risks. Uh, we see it all around the world. And, and what we also saw, and, and we had a presentation in one of the workshops that we, we organized uh, a few months ago, um, is that forest, which was a study about boreal forests, so in, in Canada and Russia and, and the Scandinavian countries, it was a very clear difference that the more that forests are managed, the more there was growth in the forest, and the much less was the risk, was much less uh, risk of forest fires. So that was really a clear difference in these regions, that through management you can actually really decrease the risk of fires. Okay, brilliant. Um, now, Mr. Obinsteiner, um, our online um, panelist, um, needs to leave our debate early. Um, so we're going to go to now I'll ask you to maybe wrap up, but also and um, one thing we haven't discussed yet, of course, is, um, um, you know, capture and storage of bioenergy. So talk us through how important um, that will be to meeting our climate goals. And then also if you'd like to give any sort of final thoughts on the debate and what you'd like to sort of leave us all with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, when you when we look at and I'm coming back to these uh, 1.5 uh, degree um, assessments and scenarios, uh, there what we see is that uh, bioenergy with carbon capture and sequestration, which yields uh, towards uh, negative emissions, is uh, is a key technology to reach these goals. Just to give you an idea, in the last. Uh, 30 years, uh, so from 2070 to 2100, uh, the uh, global economy will have to go uh, net negative to the amount of the emissions of today. So this is this is this will be a major industry where we will not only decarbonize, but we actually will have to uh, take out CO2. Uh, on a sustainable basis for at least 30 years. In, this is a, a massive thing and many people don't know about this because we basically have to undo uh, the sins which we are committing now. And, uh, and here, uh, uh, biomass with carbon capture and sequestration, but also biochar uh, and, uh, and of course the sustainable management of the forest uh, is a key technology uh, to solve the climate problem. And uh, we have to, to actually address this today um, and build these kind of industries. The other thing which is uh, more coming out of uh, climate sciences, uh, 
when you look at uh, the current emission trajectory, they're all going up. And uh, we do know from Earth system science that we might actually trigger major tipping points in the Earth system. So, for example, permafrost uh, uh, melting on large scales. And, uh, and if, we, if, we, if we don't use all of the technologies which uh, we are using today, it, in particular the negative emission technologies, very, very soon we might actually trigger these kind of uh, tipping points. And, uh, and so here there is real urgency also in the short term because we are going into climate overshoot at the moment. Uh, we need to, we, had, we don't, and this was a part of the discussion, we don't have the luxury to kick out uh, key technologies which actually needed to solve the climate problem. Um, and so maybe here my, my, final, my final plea is, is uh, uh, let's really work with the facts uh, and the observations and proper accounting on carbon and energy and so forth to actually solve the problems. And uh, the, the problem I have, uh, and this is more being an economist as well, is, uh, you know, here we try to regulate uh, an activity uh, rather than creating incentive to solve problems, in particular the climate problem and the biodiversity problem. And of course, also now currently the, the energy security and energy inflation problem. So let's solve the problems uh, and, uh, and don't, uh, you know, debate about activities, whether this or that is bad, because here we can actually measure and give scientific answers whether uh, bioenergy qualifies or not. And this is also, as I said before, geographically also differentiated and we have all of the technologies to do proper assessments so uh, let's do progressive modern policy making and not forbid things thank you okay thank you so much um, and enjoy the rest of your day as we finish our um, panel okay I'm going to go to some questions um, from the audience um, we have Vanessa Dimitrova uh, she has a question for Mr. Josser. She says, biomass degrades, but is it still considered a hazardous waste? And are there more sustainable solutions um, to the use of biomass? I'm um, not sure I understood the question, but um, the, the, the logging residues, the forest residues mm -hmm. are degrading indeed in the forest that, um, um, slower, and I'm emitting SCO2 emissions slower than if they would be used for, for biomass and for bioenergy, sorry. Uh, at the same time, they don't, um, they don't substitute uh, fossil energy. So we have to make a balance, um, uh, and this kind of the famous uh, carbon debt uh, aspect, which is also that creates a lot of uh, discussions around this, but uh, overall, it's it's kind of obvious that the the the, the use of uh, the 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 well managed forest sustainable managed forest is favorable for the climate in the at least in the short or medium term and, and obviously long term so it's it's a it's a real solution for 2050 for sure mm. okay so um you know just picking up on that point about biomass degrading um Perhaps, Mr. Bingham, you might want this one. Um, so, you know, we've been discussing sort of the merits and, and the demerits, you could say, of biomass. But what about the effect on industry? So, um, for example, you know, the furniture makers, the wood panel industry, are we stealing their primary resource and diverting it to meet energy needs in a crisis? 
The answer is um, yes and no. Now, I'm not, I'm not being a typical economist and sort yeah. of thinking one hand or the other. It genuinely is yes and no. Um, yes, in the sense that uh, bioenergy takes um, the lowest um, quality material from the bottom of the pile, as well. The, the, the furniture manufacturers are using saw logs. They're, they're sort of way up, up, up the packing order. But the, the, the ones above bioenergy are the pulp producers and the panel board producers. Mm -hmm. And yes, at the margin between very low quality wood and slightly less low quality wood, which isn't a fixed margin, it's, a, it's not a fixed boundary, there is competition going on. And, and um, there is uh, both, both all three industries compete at the margin for, 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 that, for that material. So um, the, the no part of the answer is that, um, is that uh, the, 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 I'm, I'm not aware of any pulp mill or panel board mill that has had to stop production because it hasn't got fiber to make its product. Right. All that's happened is that they have to pay a bit more for it, um, and um, and that's my answer is well, that's competition. Get on with it. Sorry, sure, I... go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think <clears throat> I find the wording of your question quite um, interesting and uh, provocative. Oh, still, it was meant to be provocative. So, <laughs> yeah, because um, <laughs> actually, if we say that we would steal the the resource um, and diverting it to mid energy, it would mean that the resource belongs to the industry. And actually, the resource doesn't belong to the industry. The resource yeah, belongs to, to forest yeah, owners and yeah, managers who to decide make. to whom they sell their wood. So um, the industry doesn't have the monopoly. Um, less then, there can be a competition, um, and um, it's a question of of of, um, of market. And um, and I think that maybe a, it's not the question of stealing or not stealing. It's about how to make sure that we answer to the different needs that society expresses. And there are different needs. Wood material is one, wood energy in another. And I think um, there is a way to answer to all these needs. But it's not the question of stealing the resources more to... But would you say uh, that conversation is happening right now? About the competition. competition. Yeah, there is a discussion on the competition. There are also some ideas that we do not support about this cascade, like whether to impose a certain uh, hierarchy of uses, which we think is, um, it, 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 it's, it's not in sense. So yes, it's happening. It's it, there is a market, but it's but it's not for all types of uh, of wood. And also, I would agree that I'm not aware of any plant who had to close uh, due to shortage of wood. So that's also something we would need to discuss. No, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. Oh. I, I think there's a, um, a, a difficulty in that in that bioenergy is a relatively new incomer into that space, mm -hmm. and therefore. Um, uh, some some panel board producers and pulp producers felt that they could they knew exactly where they're going to get their material from and it was sort of sort of theirs they right. knew they knew that's where they're going to get it from and then bioenergy comes along and says hey you know, there's a bit of competition there um, and they're having to just raise their expectations when it comes to the price they have to pay for it okay and you want to make a comment as well a uh, quick remark on this we should better look at the synergies among the different actors of the chains between the, 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 the forest owners and the wood uh, industries in general because in reality 
the, the stronger the forest sector and the stronger the wood industry is, uh, the more you create synergies. And in fact, the more, to take an example, the more wood houses we will have, uh, the better, the, the, the bigger sawmill industry we will have in, in Europe to replace uh, steel and concrete, the more byproducts we will have, and the more incentives we will give to forest owners to grow more forests. So we will continue this virtuous cycle to have more forests, more wood materials, and more wood for, for energy, because not energy, not only for these wood industries, but also the rest of the society. So it's, it's a kind of virtuous synergy. Whether we, we are completely now, uh, some, some people are completely stubborn by, by, by the, the, the barriers and the, the, the nightmare and the, and the danger, but in reality, the whole thing is the, is the bioeconomy that, we, that is a real solution to fossil fuels. Sure. And, and, it, and it definitely um, is that. Um, wait, I've just lost the question that I was going to ask. It's about carbon capture. Um, Mr. Peltman, it was actually for Mr. Obersteiner, but obviously he's left, so I'll ask you instead. Um, James, he James Hewitt, I don't know if... Interesting name. Um, he says, carbon capture and storage is not a proven technology and unlikely to be feasible other than for the largest industry applications and particularly firewood-powered stations. Is it not much wiser to oblige a reduction in carbon consumption? I don't really understand the second point, but yeah, just, just, yeah. Just, just on the first point about uh, carbon capture and storage, it's actually been proven by, by quite a lot of, uh, of... It's actually related also to the fossil industries about uh, uh, enhanced oil recovery. So they, they also capture CO2 from, from ethanol plants, for instance, and put it under the ground. What was the main issue with, uh, with CCS so far was that there was no economic incentive to do so. So if you have, if you have to pay for CCS to, re to reduce your carbon, but there's no reward in terms of, of CO2 price or something, uh, that is an issue. And that, that's, why things, uh, that's one of the reasons why things have not really taken off. We see now that new projects are taking off, uh, starting with, with demonstration projects. Uh, for instance, in Stockholm, there's a big demonstration project in their CHP where they will capture the CO2 and, and, and store it uh, under the sea, um, I think uh, close to, uh, to, to Norway. Um, so you will see more and more of these initiatives. And, and of course, this, this also takes a little bit of time to really get, uh, get this technology spread out also. But it, it is taking steps. And, and something I want to point out, it, it's really because of no CO2 value, actually, that has really stopped for, for be going to commercial. Okay, um, we'll go to our MEP, to Ms. Schmidt-Bauer. Um, we haven't talked too much necessarily about, you know, real energy security. Um, so, you know, as we know, Russia, of course, um, keeps doing its maintenance um, on Nord Stream 1. We know the EU this week, uh, von der Leyen, etc., they're going to make emergency interventions um, in the energy market to give relief to industry, to people, to avoid civil unrest, because that's also a consequence of what is going to happen, uh, potentially. Um, so how can the EU gain its um, energy security using biomass, or should we be looking at a different sort of energy mix, and what should be part of that mix? First of all, using biomass, <laughs> it's clear. Now, this is genau das Thema, wo jetzt schon viele Vorredner die gleichen Aussagen getätigt haben. Es ist jetzt nicht die Zeit für weitere Verbote, nicht die Zeit für weitere Hürden. Wir haben jetzt einen Entwurf am Tisch liegen, der uns über das Wochenende, was die Verhandlungen betrifft, noch sehr beschäftigen wird. 
Aber wir haben uns schmerzlich vor Augen geführt, wie abhängig wir als Europäische Union sind. Der Ausbau der reinen strombasierten Erneuerbaren kann und wird nicht rasch genug erfolgen. Das wird auch meiner Meinung nach mittelfristig nicht ausreichen. Gas und Atomkraft ähm, sind wahrlich keine Antworten, wenn wir von einem ehrlich ähm, grünen neuen Europa reden. Auch wenn die Atomkraft jetzt als grün eingestuft wurde. Das ist meiner Meinung nach ein Hohn, wirklich ein Hohn. Und wir müssen uns jetzt überlegen, wollen wir uns mit weiteren Verboten abhängiger machen ähm, oder nicht? Von wem wollen wir in der Zwischenzeit Gas, Energie abkaufen? Also von Putin nicht, da sind wir uns alle einig. Wollen wir das von anderen Autokraten haben oder wollen wir Gas aus Demokratien, die halt unterdurchschnittliche Umweltstandards forcieren und, und mit fragwürdigen Technologien arbeiten? I can only reiterate the point that's just been made by the other speakers, and it's a point that I made at the beginning. This is not the right time to be introducing new bans, new hurdles. That's just a short sighted type of thinking. We, we are all painfully aware in Europe, especially now, just how dependent we are on other countries outside the EU for our energy supply. And we have to end that dependency, not make it worse. So we have to be realistic. Increasing power-based renewable energies cannot keep pace with the demand, with the current challenges. Even in the, middle, in the medium term, that's not going to be enough. We've decided that gas and atomic energy are not the answer. I think we all agree on that. Even if some people are saying that atomic energy can be rebranded as green, it's not really green in that sense. So if we honestly want a greener Europe in the future, then we have to, we have to be responsible in, in taking the right sort of action. Do we want to become more dependent on other countries or less dependent? Bans, if we introduce them now, are going to make us even more dependent on, 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 on people outside. And who do we want to be buying our energy supplies from? We've decided, we all agree, we don't want to be buying it from Putin. Fair enough. So who is it going to be? Are we going to buy, be buying it from other autocratic regimes? Is that going to be the solution? Or do we want to buy gas from other democracies, but ones which are using below average environmental standards, or trying to push those through and, you, and, and working with uh, questionable technologies? Those are the questions we have to ask ourselves. Eine unabhängige, nachhaltige Zukunftsenergie im Einklang mit dem Klima geht, dann haben wir darauf bereits eine Antwort. Und diese Antwort lautet Holz. Also es führt meiner Meinung nach kein Weg an, an diesem biobasierten, nachwachsenden, natürlichen Rohstoff vorbei. Noch einmal, wir müssen sie nützen, wir müssen sie schützen und wir müssen, und da bitte ich alle, die Möglichkeiten auszuschöpfen in diesen Tagen jetzt, auf viele Kolleginnen und Kollegen, Entscheidungsträger zuzugehen. Wir müssen die vielen Vorteile dieser multifunktionalen, nachhaltigen, bewirtschafteten Wälder, auf das müssen wir aufmerksam machen. Ähm, vergessen wir auch nicht, wenn wir oder wenn das Aus für Biomasse droht, was bedeutet das für den ländlichen Raum, für die Regionen, für die Menschen, die dort leben, die einen Job, ein Einkommen lukrieren, wir reden auch immer der Abwanderung entgegenzuwirken, das alles würden wir momentan riskieren. Und diese kleinen Heizwerke, die größeren, die großen, die alle brauchen wir für den Übergang. Sie geben uns Unabhängigkeit und sie geben uns Sicherheit und das ist das, was wir jetzt momentan in Europa brauchen.
if we really want to achieve an independent, sustainable future energy supply in Europe in, in harmony with our climate challenges, then we do have the answer. That answer is simple. It's wood. No way can get round the need for using bio-based growing raw materials. Um, we have to use our forests. We have to protect them as well. They go hand in hand. Um, but we cannot just sit by and do nothing. And um, we really, this, we have to take the, the challenge in the next days and weeks to approach all of the stakeholders, all of our colleagues who are in positions of, of, of decision making and really make them aware of the challenges and, and of what's at stake. Um, let's also think if we end the road, if we close the road to biomass, what's that going to mean for people? What's it going to mean for jobs? What's it going to mean for businesses? It's a huge risk, a risk that we cannot aff afford to take. So the answer is wood. Uh, it's, it's something that we do have, um, we, we have uh, wood being produced by smaller companies, by bigger companies. We have to make use of all of those inputs, all of that mix, because those of all of those, those sources working together provide us with what we need, which is independence and security. Okay, so given what you're saying, just quickly, um, it seems as if the EU is having a sort of crisis of confidence when it comes to, you know, what it labels as green. And I want to just bring up the Pakistan floods. I mean, I'm sure everyone's been watching the news, third of the country submerged in water. I mean, if the EU can't turn away from fossil fuels, it can't decide, you know, what is green, then aren't we then condemning developing nations um, to, well, uncertain and horrible future? Who would like to take that one? Well, developed countries, I'm not sure. I just want to, <laughs> to, to add uh, no. something on the energy security with, with uh, let's say, two, two examples. I mean, uh, if we take a country like uh, Lithuania, for example, that uh, have uh, switched its district heating system from Russian gas to biomass from 1 to 80% now uh, bioenergy for district heating, we can understand that they can easily get rid and decide uh, to stop and to ban the Russian gas. And the same is, uh, is, is true for any kind of level of industry or, or, or individual. Uh, I have a pellet boiler. I don't care about the gas price, I can tell you. I mean, uh, it's a story for the others, not for me, because I've, I'm safe. I'm, I might have to pay, uh, I might have to pay a bit uh, more for the pellets next winter, but, you know, it's, it's a story for the, for the others. Huh? So these concrete examples are showing that, yes, us, this is... Uh, uh, Bioenergy is at up to 96% uh, European uh, energy, so the cost of Bioenergy, in fact, depends more on the, on the wages of the people. So if the wages of the people are rising, which is a good news, the, 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 the biomass will rise, but it's not speculations uh, at, uh, at a much higher level that are, that are influencing the price, so it means that, that Further developing bioenergy is a real solution for energy security. You don't care? Yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah. About your questions, like what if Europe doesn't know what to define? What, what, yeah. is, what is green? What is so, green? What is so not? So maybe from a forest management perspective, mm. again, um, um, forest management is not just uh, something written on, on, on paper. We have criteria, we have indicators, um, we have a clear definitions indoors at pan-European level. Um, uh, so there is a way to also control and monitor, and um, the EU is paving the, the way in terms of how forests are sustainably managed. So the question now regarding these discussions on RED3, but also on other uh, forest-related policies is should we, 
like, does the EU need to go further when it comes to how to manage the forest? And uh, maybe we should already look at what we have in terms of rules at pan-European, European, national and regional level. Um, and I don't think that we need additional rules right now. Anyone else want to take at that point? Well, just, just one point. Uh, they, 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 what, what, what we're looking at is, is um, at the moment, we've got to phase out coal, lignite, natural gas, as, as, and, and, and the, the suggestion is we actually have to phase out primary biomass as well. So we add it to the, mm. add it to the, 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 the list of things that have to be phased <coughs> out. Um, and that puts, it puts 2050 net zero completely out of sight. And we're just not going to get there if we have to phase out all those four um, items uh, simultaneously. We just, it's, it's, and that's rather an arrogant and, and, and um, uh, position to take when, we, when we're looking at what's going on in Pakistan, if that's, if that's the, mm. where your question started. Yeah, no, it, was just, it was just literally that is you know, a very real reminder and example right now um, of climate change and, and the fact that you know, Europe needs to really you know, pull up its socks perhaps a little bit, so for the rest of the world as well. Um, there's a question from Danielle Walters. Um, it's for all panellists, but I'll go to Mr. Peltmans because you haven't spoken for a bit. Um, would you consider biomass to be a transition technology, particularly for the generation of heat, whilst other renewable energies are being developed, or is it a source of energy and heat for the long term? Um, well, if you look at the long-term scenarios, uh, you see that biomass still plays a major role in 2050 and beyond. Uh, but you see that, uh, that, that the focus is change. So there, there is a transition in certain applications. I think if you look at, at, uh, at household uh, heating, uh, you'll see that, that, uh, that, that electricity and heat pumps will start to come into the market and there is less focus really on individual boilers uh, or, or stoves uh, to, to use biomass. Uh, and then this resource, of, of course, then becomes available in, in things where you really have markets which are difficult to, to decarbonize or difficult to electrify. So you have specific industry sectors um, which, which need uh, high temperature heat, for instance, uh, where, where biomass comes in as very interesting. Uh, you have uh, very efficient solutions like uh, combined heat and power connected to district heatings, which is already interesting now. I think it will remain interesting also in the longer term. Uh, and what you also have coming up now is, is, uh, is advanced uh, biofuel technologies for transport fuels, specifically in the future also towards aviation fuels, which are looking for solutions. They need liquid fuels, uh, and they can either go for, for biomass or for, uh, for e-fuels. So you will see this shift, and it's, it's kind of a gradual shift, so we have to face with the, the situation we have now. But in 10 years, it may look uh, different with things have really come to, to the market and also have become cheaper for people. And you will have shifts to really markets which, which have a more need of a certain, uh, certain application than others. Okay, lovely. Um, well, this debate has gone very fast. Um, lots has been discussed, um, especially about Red 3. Um, but we are, of course, getting to the close. And so with that, um, I'd like you all to wrap up your thoughts. So RMEP, Ms. Schmidt-Bau, if you'd like to take the floor. Ja, ich habe es schon gesagt, ohne, ohne nachhaltige Waldbewirtschaftung, ohne die nachwachsende Ressource Holz wird es nicht geben. Da ist etwas, das uns zur Verfügung steht, was für uns ähm, leider manchmal auch selbstverständlich geworden ist. Und wir haben die Antwort auf viele große Herausforderungen, auf viele große Fragen. Und die Antwort für mich ist ganz eindeutig die Biomasse. Und deshalb werde ich jetzt für meinen Teil alles Menschenmögliche unternehmen, 
um noch viele Kolleginnen und Kollegen über das Wochenende aufzuklären. Das ist das große Manko, das wir haben. Es kann nicht jeder fachspezifisch in einem Thema so tief verankert sein, das ist ganz klar. Aber wie gesagt, die Vorschläge, die jetzt auf dem Tisch liegen, sind für mich und auch für die österreichische Delegation meiner Fraktion nicht akzeptierbar. Und deshalb werden wir alles versuchen, um der Biomasse auch weiterhin eine wunderbare, nachhaltige Zukunft zu gewährleisten. I would end with the same message, reiterating the same message I said I made before, which is that we need biomass. Without a sustainable forestry management policy and without wood, it's the, we, we, we cannot meet the future challenges. We have to use all available resources that we have. We have to be realistic. So we have lots of challenges, lots of, of problems that need to be addressed, and we have a very clear answer to many of them, and that answer is biomass. So I'm going to be spending the next days over the weekend speaking to people, speaking to businesses, speaking to my colleagues as many people as I can reach out to, and really trying to raise, raise awareness of what's at stake. I think that's the biggest shortcoming, the biggest lack that we have to overcome right now. Of course, not all of them can be experts in all of these fields. Everyone doesn't know all of the scientific details, but we really have to make them aware of what's at stake. Uh, and I think one thing is quite clear, that the proposals which are on the table right now are completely unacceptable, unacceptable for my group in the parliament, unacceptable for the Austrian members of that group, uh, and they're unacceptable for, for the future of, of energy supply in Europe. So we have to all work together to secure a viable and bright future for biomass. Thank you. Interesting, and thank you also for your translation today. Um, okay, uh, Fanny Pomlong, please take the floor. Thank you. I would like to echo what has just been said, maybe to that what is on the table now is um, really not acceptable. Um, we will also, I think it's very important what was said, that we have still a few days to keep talking and explaining, trying to... Um, well, leave emotions or keep emotions a bit lower down and really talk about the facts. Um, we, we, we usually say when we talk about the EU policy making that the parliament is the, the, the institution representing the, the citizens directly. They are directly elected. Um, I think if, if, if the, the MEPs, the majority of MEPs would vote in favor of those compromises which, which we now see on the table, um, it would be not only a misunderstanding from the forest owners who are represented, but from, from the citizens, generally speaking. It would be so totally disconnected from what they are living now. It would be a very bad, bad signal in terms of um, the message sent to those who, who elect um, um, the MEPs. Of course, um, then it would not be the end of the story. There would be negotiations, but we really hope that the signal sent next week by the parliament will be based on facts, data and reality of the ground. State and reality on the ground. John Bingham, your final thoughts? I, I can only agree wholeheartedly with you, and, um, and I wish you best, um, your best efforts, and, uh, and I do hope you prevail. Thank you. <laughs> we'll need lots of luck, um, especially with those negotiations in the final days. Um, Luke Peltzman, your final thoughts? Yeah, uh, maybe one point, because we didn't talk so much about the climate impact, mm. because I think that's the base of the discussion also at the Parliament. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions in, in the area. So, so a lot of people just look at the chimney, how much CO2 is coming from the chimneys. It can be more than a fossil, but then you just neglect the whole cycle which is around it, behind it. You can just look at the forest and say, well, what, what's, what's the carbon in the forest? But then you actually neglect what's the fossil fuel that you substitute. And then a lot of people just say, well, well, we assume that one hectare of forest is cut only for energy 
and, and calculate that. That just neglects the whole forestry thing. So it, it, energy is it's not just one, uh, one single thing that you do with forestry. It's, it's, it's like Van uh, said, it's, it's, it's really the combination of, of what's the contribution of, of how you deal with the forests on the climate. And that is your impact on forest, uh, forest management. That's the impact of the forest products which are coming out. A lot of building materials can come out. And that's the energy that you produce. So it's, it's really the combination of, of those. And you can't really isolate them from each other. So that, that's also a wrong thing. And just taking one out is, is a really bad idea. OK, interesting points there. And then Mr. Jossard. Yeah, I think that um, we should be, uh, at the European policy level, be proud of what was achieved so far. Because we are, if we look at the world level, really, we, in Europe, we are leading the sustainability legislation. They don't have that in the US, Japan, whatever, uh, Africa, you, you name it. So, so we, it would be uh, somehow a pity at the end of this, uh, we have achieved something for Red 2, it would be a pity to, to scratch everything and lose complete credibility in Red 3 with such, such an extreme proposal with the primary biomass that fundamentally doesn't make sense scientifically. I mean, we have more to lose than to, to win. So I'm sure there are things to improve in the sustainability criteria, and we discuss things that make sense, the percentage of CO2 savings and that kind of things, that, is, that kind of things make sense. But primary biomass, it's, it's counterproductive. We will lose the credibility for forest owners, for bioenergy, for investors, for, for many people. It, it, it would be a lost opportunity while we have a gold on hands. Even the food sector, the feed sector, the material sectors, they have no such legal criteria. They, they have, it's just on a voluntary basis. Here we have a, a legal mandatory criteria for all actors. Uh, try to make it... Uh, try to, so that it makes sense at the end, with a, with a more common sense than emotions uh, for the moment. Okay, well, there definitely, I'm sure, will be more emotions in terms of protests outside the European Parliament by environmentalists. Um, thank you to our panellists. Um, and now for the closing, we'll go back to Christian Rakosh. Please do take the floor, the President of the World Bioenergy Association. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for the uh, interesting contributions and uh, for managing the discussion. Uh, if there is one single takeaway from this debate today, for me, it would be the statement of Mr. Obersteiner regarding uh, whether bioenergy is good or bad for climate. He said there is no scientific evidence whatsoever over the last 100 years that bioenergy use based on sustainably produced bioenergy is bad for the climate. The contrary is the case. We need bioenergy to manage climate change. And the main argument of the folks that are opponing, uh, opponents of bioenergy use is it is bad for the climate. So we're back to the reality check. We're back to the quote from the Club of Rome. Our greatest problem is, that our, is our inability to distinguish between facts and fiction. It is a fiction that bioenergy is bad for the climate and is a fact that it is good for the climate. And I hope this has contributed a little bit to fact-based policymaking in Europe. I would like to thank you all very much, 
to part for, for your participation. I wish you a good day and reasonable policy making next week. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, and then just final words, thank you to everyone, of course, who is in the room, to everyone who has been joining us online, to all of our panellists. Um, I'm Mariam Zadi. You've been watching a hybrid conference organised by the World Bioenergy Association um, in collaboration with Bioenergy Europe and, of course, with Euractiv as media partner. I hope you have a good rest of the day. Thank you, everyone. Take care and bye-bye. <laughs>